Welcome to The Bit, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Later. 32 years ago, BlackRock's chairman and CEO, Larry Fink, rallied seven other people to found a small bond firm. Since the financial crisis, Larry began an annual tradition of writing a letter to CEOs in our capacity as a shareholder. It's on behalf of our clients, the institutions and individuals who invest in companies to achieve their financial goals. Over the last few years, the letters have addressed how our world is changing, like the rise of populism, but also how it might change for the better, such as through stakeholder capitalism. Last year's letter called on CEOs to prepare for a shift in reallocation of capital due to climate change. And so in this special episode, Larry joins us to talk about how the events of 2020 developed this year's letter and why net zero will reshape the economy. Larry, thanks so much for coming on The Bid. It's great to be here. Great to be in the office today. <laughs> exactly. So before we dive in on this year's letter, let's take a step back. And can you just share why you write these letters each year? Uh, it's a long story, but I started writing the letters because, A, it was epiphany about what we did when we acquired BGI. And BGI, meaning Barclays Global Investors, which we acquired in 2009. Yes. And all of a sudden, we became one of the top two largest investors in equities in the world. And the high percentage of those assets were in index assets. And indexation is the ultimate of long-termism because you own these companies' stocks forever as long as they're in an index. And you can't sell these stocks as long as they're in an index. And so the only component where you have some role and responsibility is in the power of your vote. And it came to me that it is even more important for us to effectuate a corporate action or corporate behavior through the vote because we can't sell the shares if we don't like the company or their behaviors. And so the power of our vote became very enlarged. Two, spending time looking at the financial media and reading the financial media the conversations are all about the moment. It's all about the ups and downs of the market. And as I said, as an indexer, we are the ultimate long-term investor. But then importantly, too, two-thirds of all the assets we manage at BlackRock are for retirement savings. And I was becoming more sickened by watching the narrative. Markets going up or down. What does it mean with one country doing this or that? And the reality is for the majority of investors, the ups and downs of today or this week or this month has very little bearing on the outcome 30, 40 years for a retirement. And so the beginnings of the letters, 2012 now, were about long-termism and why we need to reorient ourselves away from short-term behaviors to long-term behaviors. And that evolved from focusing on long-term behaviors focusing on long-term outcomes like retirement, but also trying to change the narrative. What are the contributions of a company that can create good, durable long-term outcomes? And the whole concept of corporate stewardship and stakeholder capitalism became much more part of what I thought was the responsibilities of management teams and boards. And it just became more and more clear. We have more than a shareholder as our stakeholders. We all have multiple stakeholders that we have to work with and for. And 
one of the major components for me, I didn't write this as somebody who's just writing letters to companies who we invest in. I was actually writing from the lens of a CEO of a public company. And I was writing it and trying to invoke what are my responsibilities as a CEO of a public company. And then I focused on, okay, what are my responsibilities in terms of my stakeholders, the employees of BlackRock, our clients? And then much of it has to do also was the whole concept of, this occurred over the last four years, this whole concept of deglobalization. My whole career prior to that was all about globalization and the positive nature of what globalization can bring to the world and to humanity. And that became thrown out with this whole idea of deglobalization. And that just raised the whole concept of your stakeholder of your community. And if you are a multinational company like BlackRock, we have not just many communities here in the United States, but if we're going to earn the license to operate in all the different countries where we work, we BlackRock, we have to earn that license in every country. And so that's when I started really focusing on the needs of stakeholder capital and on behalf of our shareholders at BlackRock, but on behalf of us as a shareholder in every other company. And I get excited when I start thinking about what I'm going to write about in fall. And I get excited about, okay, what are the issues that are bothering me? What are the issues that I think are important? And I, you know, most people think I've come up with some, sometimes something original, but I don't think anything's original. I mean, I can tell you, I get all these ideas from our clients. And that's what's so wonderful about the responsibilities and role we have. We have all these incredible conversations with clients throughout the United States, throughout the world. And it's through these conversations and I hear what's on their mind. I'm just putting all those thoughts on paper and I'm trying to evoke what I'm hearing, what I feel, what I see. I put them in my own words and my own feelings, but it is through that process that it all comes together. Well, in 2020, you had no shortage of material to choose from. You engaged with clients at a rapid pace, even more than usual, mm. particularly during the tumultuous markets in March and April. Between the struggle over racial injustice, obviously the pandemic, the U.S. elections, there were so many short-term events. There were so many headlines that focusing on the long term was particularly challenging. So last fall, as you sat down to write this year's letter, how did the events of 2020 shape what you wanted to talk about? Well, let me just start off. 2020 was shaped a lot of it from the fall of 2019 when it was through the conversations and the consecutive conversations I had about why sustainability was becoming important and more and more clients were asking for it. So that letter was published in January of 2020 and we talked about climate change's investment risk and that was probably the major theory behind it and why we believe this is going to be a tectonic shift in how we think and how we invest. 2020, when we started the year, we were aware of this rising virus in China and other parts of Asia by January, February. But then when March rolled around and it became very real that it was not just a pandemic in a few countries, it was a global pandemic. And that, again, shaped everything we do and everything we did. And we still are being shaped by this existential risk of health and security. And we all now have experienced a vast change in how we live, how we work, how we are educated, how we are receiving medicine and medical advice, on and on and on. And so the year has changed quite dramatically. But through that year, though, we've seen blessings of humanity and we've seen terrors of humanity. We have learned to work and operate. We've learned to 
as I said, to consume information differently, to consume products and purchase things differently. We are working so differently because we're all mostly working remotely, but we were able to prevail. And that's why I could sit here today and say why I'm so optimistic about the world of the future, why I'm so optimistic with capitalism too. I mean, I could look back in 2020 and say, there are some wonderful blessings here. But at the same time, like all recessions, recessions expose all the inequalities. As you mentioned, the racial injustices, recessions create real economic difficulties and segments. And because this recession was so deep and required so much government fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus, it really shaped the outcomes in very extreme ways. We all know equity markets have rallied quite considerably. Technology companies have flourished because of the necessary need for all of us to use more technology. But also at the same time, it created huge hardship. Parts of our economy that is based on the aggregation of human beings, culture, travel, business gatherings, social gatherings, gatherings at restaurants, hotels, these industries have been devastated. And all the employment in these industries have been destroyed. At this time now into 2021, there are segments of the economy doing really well and parts of the economy doing very badly, leaving a lot of unemployment worldwide. We've seen much more exposure to the emerging world that is more devastated by this. And the emerging world is being devastated by climate risk at the same time. The deglobalization that I spoke about. So there are many macro trends that are leaving society more fragmented. But the one thing that I would say that is so loud and persistent the existential risk of health because of COVID actually illuminated the existential risk of climate change on the health of the planet. And what we witnessed in 2020 was an acceleration, even a faster acceleration than I talked about this tectonic shift. But it really has created a real acceleration globally, not just with governmental policy, but investor preference. I do believe more and more investors believe that climate risk is investment risk. So it's embodying everything they do. And that's going to be transforming how we think about investing in 2021 and beyond. And so you mentioned this growth in investor preferences, that despite all the macro trends that were happening last year, we saw this validation of a preference for sustainable investing and sustainability. Yes. How do you think that's going to change the future? So I need to step back for a second and talk about my career, my 20 plus year (laughs) career as a young leader in the mortgage industry back in the late seventies and early eighties. I was very self-aware that we were at the cutting edge of changing the whole capital markets. And it was, now I'm really giving my age in 1983 when we were allowed to have personal computers on a trading floor. And we were able now to use that computer to customized portfolios of mortgages into different types of securities and auto loans and credit card loans and derivative contracts by having the computer capability on the portfolio manager trader's desk that transformed finance as we know it. As more and more companies report under SASB and TCFD, and I would urge every company who's listening If you haven't begun reporting on it, you got to do it now because the pressure is going to be on. But more importantly, through the data, we're going to create the analytics to basically understand the behaviors of each company. And as you framed the question about 
investor preferences. I think through this data, we're going to show why climate risk is investment risk. We're going to have the data to show how one company is moving forward versus another company in the same industry. Having all this data at the corporate level, we're going to be able to now create portfolios of companies that have much greater performance related to how they're moving forward in terms of sustainability issues and are they moving towards a net carbon platform as a company. We are going to have the ability to customize, personalize a portfolio strategy that meets your needs. We could create a higher sustainability portfolio of companies that's closely tracking the liability that you want, but has higher standards towards sustainability. You want to have companies that have a much higher percent S or social issues. We could carve and create that out through better data analytics using SASB. And so it is my belief the revolution is not going to be coming from the personal computer on a trading desk like it did in the mortgage area, but it could be the data. And through that data and through the analytics that we have, we have the ability to customize any portfolio that you want that will meet those sustainability attributes, your social attributes, your governance attributes, over the whole cross of ESG standards. And to me, this is what's going to transform in years, not decades, years, how people invest. And for the companies that are not going to be properly reporting, and to the boards that are allowing their management not to properly report, they're going to be left behind. Now, the better companies, the more stakeholder-friendly companies are performing better. We're seeing that. They're producing more durable, consistent profitability. We are going to see big changes in corporate valuations through these big, large-scale transformations in how investors invest. You see market forces driving companies, not just a desire to do good or to be transparent, ultimately disclosing more. But I'm going to say, it's not about doing good. It's if you believe that in climate risk is investment risk, it's not being socially good. I mean, we could all be socially good, but in the United States, we have to be beyond doing something good. You have to do something with the idea that you're going to maximize return. And if you go around that, then you're not a fiduciary under our rules. Now, that may be changing under the Biden administration, but at this moment, we have to live under that rule through the data, through the process where we expect to have the analytics to show why climate risk is investment risk and why we could create these portfolios. And so you've talked about how climate risk is an investment risk, how that's become so apparent. But in this year's letter, you focus on how net zero is going to drive a transformation of the economy. And the portrait you painted of a personalized investing landscape is really powerful. It's related to net zero, but it's not the same. So what do you mean when you talk about net zero requiring a transformation of the economy? Once again, there's nothing novel about what I'm asking. I'm asking every company to move forward on reporting under a net zero economy. Basically, we're asking every company to report under TCFD, which is asking those questions, and how every company is going to be prepared to meet the requirements of the Paris Accord. And so basically, you know, the one beauty, and I learned this over my 40 plus years in business and finance, once we understand a problem, we bring the problem forward. And we identify it and try to minimize the problem. And that's why I'm an optimist. When we identify a problem, we find solutions. And I believe through this process, moving this problem forward by having more and more companies report under TCFD and 
for companies to report how they're moving forward in terms of net carbon economy or net carbon footprint. And we are doing the BlackRock. We reported under TCFD and we're moving forward, but we're asking every company as a part of the reporting to also report to us. How are they moving their company forward to reach the targets of the Paris Accord to have a net zero carbon economy? You mentioned that at BlackRock, we also submitted a TCFD report. What else are you doing? What else is BlackRock doing to lead in this way and to prepare and protect our own investors and shareholders? I'm not sure we're leading. I think what we are doing is responding. We're responding to where governments are asking everyone to move forward. As I said, the beauty of finance is once we identify a problem, we bring it forward and try to eradicate it. And I think that's our important role as the largest investor in the world is to identify a problem, to respond to the societal needs. I could say as a CEO of a public company, our employees at BlackRock are asking me to move faster. And I'm sure most companies are saying the same thing. But as we move forward to a net carbon-free economy, it's going to mean an acceleration of renewables. But until we have new technology, and this is one thing that I constantly write about, it is about making sure that we are focusing on technology so we can move forward. Because there are going to be segments of society that are not going to be able to adapt quick enough. And the one thing I do write in my 2021 letter, why society still has to be just. This transition has to be a just transition. This is really, really important because we need to make sure that we are creating jobs as fast as we destroy jobs. And that happens, but it may not be in the same location. And this is why it needs to be very thoughtful and top of mind. It has to come from government with private sector working together. It can't just be advocating it or we're going to have a great unevenness and we're not going to have a just society. And so it's really important when we speak about these issues, the net zero carbon economy, it's going to mean this transition. It's going to mean that we have to manage it from the top down. The other thing that I want to be loud about, this transition is not a transition just for public companies. We're asking a lot from public companies. And if public companies all did this, we would not get to a net zero carbon economy unless we have the private part of the economy doing it too, but also governments. If you really worry about climate change, you have to be worried about physical risk in cities we just can't ask FEMA and the federal government to bail out every time there's a natural disaster. I mean, it's been a fantastic agency to help those who have been harmed, but we need to have a plan, you know, and every country needs to have a plan. And so one of the things about my 2021 letter is it's not just about asking public companies to move forward. It is about governments to move forward too in a holistic way, working alongside with the public companies. Mm -hmm. So talking about climate risk and the risk for cities, for example, if they don't pay attention to these risks and change, it's very tangible, it's concrete, it's clear what that is. But just switching gears a little bit, you mentioned and referenced stakeholder capitalism, the importance of just transitions. In recent years, you've written to CEOs about how companies need to articulate their purpose and be responsive to a range of stakeholders, their shareholders, but also their communities, their employees, and society at large. How have CEOs and companies responded to that, particularly through the pandemic? As I say in the letter, I'm very proud of capitalism. I think so many companies have done so well at making sure that their employees were safe during the pandemic. I can't think of a year where stakeholder capitalism wasn't even more 
vivid from how are we trying to move forward as a company and making sure that our employees feel secure and safe, not just physically, but, you know, the transition away from office, working from home. What is their mental health? And what are we doing to making sure our employees feel safe and secure? And when you have your employees believe in the culture of the firm and believe in what the firm's doing, they're the great sales force for the firm. They embody the culture and the organization. So I can't think of a year in my lifetime of business where the stakeholder of your employees is so evident. And for companies to move forward, we all know it is about making sure that we are connected with our employees, especially as so much of our employees were working remotely. Two, what I could say from 2020 is our clients were in more need of information. They were more in need for what do we think and where should they go? How should they move forward? And then three, my gosh, investing in being a part of the communities where you're working, whether it's a community in one country, if you're only housed in one country, or if you're housed in many countries, and at BlackRock, we're in 30 different countries, and we do business in a hundred different countries. And if we don't show and earn our license to operate in those hundred places where we do business, then we're not going to have a business in those countries. So I would say 2020 was more light was shined on the virtues of stakeholderism and more convinced than ever those companies who performed really well for their employees, for the clients and the community to operate, their shareholders have benefited dramatically. And as I said earlier, we're seeing a widening between the best performing companies in industry and the worst performing companies in industry. And so much it has to do with those who are embodying stakeholder capitalism and working for all their stakeholders and building that enduring, durable profitability over the long run. So your optimism about capitalism is clear. Your optimism that will accelerate in the direction that you're painting in the letter is clear action from boards, from management teams, from customers. For many people, though, it's a hard time to be optimistic. So much loss in the past year, so much job loss, many people struggling to feed their families. What's your message to those people who are having a hard time being optimistic? What are either the proof points in 2021 to look toward or other indications that you think can fuel optimism for those for whom this is a really challenging time? Well, if I could channel the answer towards what government needs to do. Sure. Every government needs to broaden their economies. Economies were narrowed during the pandemic. Big winners, but a lot of losers. And this is how you frame the question. For the governments that are focusing on broadening the economy, broadening the economy through positive policies, hopefully in the United States, we have a broad infrastructure bill to create better jobs, bigger jobs. We could transform our society. I think it's going to be very critical for the Biden administration and every government in the future to find ways to accelerate the vaccination, making sure we have herd immunity. And those who have herd immunity faster, we're going to have those restaurants open. We're going to have those conventions open. So we're going to have rock concerts again. We're going to be traveling. We're going to go to museums. And that's how we brought in the economy. So we have to conquer this virus. We have to conquer it together. And we all have to move forward. And so first and foremost, for people who have lost hope, it is making sure that we broaden the economy through a vaccination. And then we broaden the economy through policies, whether it's fiscal stimulus of some sort, in terms of making sure that we broaden the economy through great 
domestic job creation. So last question. Yeah. There's a lot in this year's letter. Net zero, stakeholder capitalism, we've talked about that. Last year, your letter had a powerful impact, making waves and really making that sentence, climate risk as investment risk, memorable. And then it came true in many senses. What's your hope for this year's letter? Just an understanding of the acceleration of how fast this is going. I am so powerfully optimistic about capitalism. And I hope that comes across too, that when you think about what the pharmaceutical industry, which was in such disregard at the moment of four companies that have a vaccination, three are approved and one is on the way. And I now hear another one's going to be on the way. What's important, it took only 10 months. I can't think of another thing that is so much more powerful than the ingenuity of capitalism, the ingenuity of companies. But even things as mundane as food and food delivery and making sure that our grocery stores were stocked at a time when we're all worried about our health and their employees are being protected and things as exciting about the transformation of technology and our over-reliance of technology and how technology has shaped and transformed our lives and truly made our lives better. The demand for EV and electric vehicles that's only accelerating the advancements in battery. So I'm more convinced than ever that stakeholder capitalism is broader, louder, I'm also louder in this letter about the need to accelerate corporate behavior related to issues around sustainability and social issues. We have a lot to do in front of us, but I'm absolutely confident the best companies are going to exhibit incredible behaviors. And just, you know, in the last few weeks, there's surveys now that are coming out that the most respected parts of society now are businesses and CEOs. We've come a long ways. And I really believe the transformation of leadership, the transformation of businesses is about more and more leaders and their boards are focusing on things about their stakeholders. They're connecting with their employees deeper and broader. They're connecting with their clients broader. And they're certainly trying to be more connected to their society. So much of that is in this letter. As you said, it is about moving forward on better disclosure, more complete disclosure, especially on net zero. But I also believe this letter related to this whole concept of the advancement of personalization and customization of indexes is going to change investor behaviors in a large, large way. And once again, like in everything else we do, data just becomes the engine for everything we do. You know, five years ago, seven years ago, most CEOs and boards didn't want to be that transparent. And now what we're seeing, the new leadership of companies and their boards are really focusing on how do we become more transparent? Not just transparent for their shareholders like us so we could analyze them, but more transparent so they could connect better and deeper with their employees. Greater transparency so their clients can understand the behaviors of a company. I mean, more than ever before, I would say clients, they choose who they do business with. More and more people are choosing who they do business with and why. And I believe those companies who have a loud, persistent, consistent voice are winning more of their clients' share a wallet, whatever product they're in. And clients are willing to pay premiums even. It's not a run to the bottom of the cheapest price, too. It is about who do I connect with? Who do I believe in? Who do I identify with? And I think these are all really important parts of what leadership has to be in terms of identifying what is the best thing for their company, their employees, their clients. And so I think this is a natural evolution 
but it's a powerful one. This transparency evolution is changing how we work, how we live, how we behave. And I'm just remarkably optimistic about how we are evolving and how we are evolving with society. And this is all good. This is not something to be afraid of. This is something to embrace. And that's one thing and I say loudly in the 2021 letter, climate change and investing is something that is a powerful economic result. As we move towards a more sustainable world, it's going to create great jobs. It's going to create a great environment. And so we should not be frightened of it. We should all be embracing it and finding ways that we could be a part of that. And I think this is one of the big messages in the 2021 letter. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Larry, for that optimistic message as we start 2021. And who knows what this year will hold. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Email the bid at blackrock.com if you have ideas on what topics we should cover in the year ahead. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'll see you next time. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management U.K. Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N, 2DL, telephone plus 44020, 7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 202-0394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000-10143N. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523, BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. 
the provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com mx. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.